You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Buzz Broadway Podcast. I'm Amanda Harrington. And I'm Sam St. Jean. Each week, with the help of cast albums, film adaptations, and our own memories, we reminisce and relive some of our favorite Broadway musicals. Come listen to two besties booze their way down the great white way on Buzz Broadway. When you're lost and alone and you feel like you need a little lift. When the times are tough and your day has gone adrift. You can always press play on Buzz Broadway. We've got the laughs. Or when you're blue. Buzz Broadway. Or a drink. I need your shoe. So just press play today. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm so excited that we're finally doing this. I am too. I have wanted to start a podcast for a long time. There's a perfect time right now. If you're listening years and years after we started this podcast, we're currently in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. We sure we're, is- are. we're isolated for recording this po- podcast remotely. Um, but I'm so excited to be spending time with you virtually and talking about this thing we love. Welcome to the premiere episode of the Buzz Broadway podcast. I feel like we started talking about this definitely in college. Definitely at some point we were like, we need to host something together. So a little backstory for those who don't know us. Sam and I went to middle school, high school, and college together. We've been friends for upwards of 15 years. 15 years. And We've been in, what, over 20 shows together? I think I think close to 20. I think it's okay. a little under 20 different theatrical productions. That's a lot. Ranging from your big titles, things like um, Phantom of the Opera, things like um, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, and maybe not so, maybe lesser known titles, things like uh, Fairytale Courtroom, Earth's Wonderful Machine, Classics in My Heart. Oh, me too! Soon to be classics in the hearts of the people of America. Um, I'm bringing it back. I want to bring back Earth's Wonderful Machine. It was a great show. You played Superman. That's all I remember. <laughs> or were you the president? I did. I think his name was... No, I think his name was Mr. Moon. Oh, that's right. I think that was his name. Did you have a role? Did you have a role? Sure did not. Love that. Love to hear it for you. Great, 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 great. Well, for those of you who are wondering, we're going to be drinking some delicious cocktails each week and dissecting, picking apart, talking about why we love a different Broadway musical every single episode. So this week, we wanted to start off strong with Amanda, drumroll. I can't roll my R's, so. That's okay. You can, you can say it. What, okay. what musical are we doing? <laughs> Into the Woods. Stephen Sondheim, James Lapine, Into the Woods. Um, we did this show together in 2010. What role did you play again, Amanda? Played Little Red Riding Hood. And 
I played Jack. Okay, but first I I really need to know what you're drinking. Of course, this is a bourbon, this is a bourbon Manhattan. How about you? What are you drinking? I'm drinking a mimosa. <clears throat> I love that. That's that's there's I mean there's a reason drinks are classics and that's why. Have you ever had a poinsettia? Like the flower? <laughs> no, a poinsettia is a uh, cranberry juice and champagne. No, but that sounds so good. It is really good, and that's called yeah, it's called the poinsettia. There's a bunch of other oh, a bellini, a bellini peach juice. And... Well, now I'll have to add them to my list for all of the shows we're going to talk yeah. about. Yeah, every week, yeah, you're just going to have a different champagne mixer, and I'm going to have a different bourbon cocktail. I love that. Not actually, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely want to switch it up at some point. But if you want to stick with that, then go for it. No, I'm drinking a Manhattan. I'm, I'm, well, I'm drinking in Manhattan because I miss New York so much. That's where I usually live. But because of everything that's going on in the world, I'm back in New Hampshire, where we grew up. Um, so I'm drinking this as an homage to the great city of New York. Do you want to tell us what Into the Woods is about? Let's start right there. Absolutely. Let's get started. Let's kick it off. Into the Woods. Um, so everyone knows Stephen Sondheim. It's one of his most famous shows, uh, James Lapine. They take all of your favorite storybook characters and bring them together. Um, in this timeless but relevant uh, piece of theater. Um, and it's become kind of a rare modern classic, I think. Um, you know, the book and the score have great accolades. It's got some really, really great text and obviously some of the most famous uh, musical theater songs in the catalog. Um, the story follows a baker and his wife who are wishing for a child, Cinderella, who is wishing to attend the King's Festival, and Jack, who wishes his cow could give milk to support his family. Uh, the baker and his wife learn that they cannot have a child because their neighbor, a witch, uh, has set a curse on the house. So she sends the two off on a journey to break the curse. Uh, everyone's wishes get granted, and all of the consequences of their actions come to fruition in Act 2 um, to haunt them with disastrous results. You just summed that up so well. I just have to say that when I was watching it the other day, my roommate came in. And my roommate came in during Act 2 and was like, what's the show about? And I simply could not give an answer. <laughs> it is kind of, I think we were talking about this earlier. It's like, it's sort of like what every Netflix show wishes it could be in terms of like a thick, a nice thick with two C's plot. Like, it really, it, like, it just gets so layered by Act 2. There is virtually no way to describe, like, especially like, like, if you're after, like, I, I, my brain is going to the scene like when the when Cinderella meets the prince again in Act Two to try to sum up that plot to someone. It's like, well, she is holding her friend's baby, but they're not really friends. He's a baker, and he you, he cheated on her with with a baker's wife, and it's just very you know the the plot gets very spoiler alert by the way if you've never seen Into the Woods. You know what? If you've never seen Into the Woods, get off the podcast. Don't listen anymore. It's not going to be worth okay, it. Okay, but go watch it and then listen. To it. <laughs> Yeah, so Stephen Sondheim, James Lapine, they're two kind of mega houses of the theater world. What were you able to what were you able to find out about them? I got to do a lot of research on these guys. I have less on James Lapine, but let me tell you about him. He was born in Mansfield, Ohio on January tenth, nineteen forty nine. Uh he has won three Tonys. He won I wrote Tony Award for beer book, but that clearly is supposed to say best book. Best but, book, I would I would agree. But I feel like beer book really goes in tune with what we're doing here. Um, he won for Into the Woods, Falsettos, and Passion. 
uh, two of those were with Steven Sondheim. So that's pretty great. Do you know Falsettos? Yeah. Yeah, they just did a revival a couple years ago, right? Yes. William Finn. They also did uh, A New Brain, which I know you love. Correct. I love A New Brain. New Brain tattoo on my wrist. But James Lapine, he's written like quite a few shows, but he's mostly a director. He's currently directing a show that's gotten postponed to open up on Broadway called Flying Over Sunset. And then, so him and Stonheim first collaborated during Sunday in the Park with George. Uh, so Stephen Sondheim was born in New York City, March 22nd, 1930. Pretty sad uh, family history there. He was totally estranged from his mother. Yeah. Um, she once said that the only regret she ever had was giving birth to him. Which Oh my God, I didn't know right? that. Right? Breaks my heart because he is beautiful. Um, <laughs> so he, when she died, he didn't go to her funeral. Yikes. I can't imagine that. Which was pretty sad. Yeah. So he became good friends with Oscar Hammerstein's son, and then Oscar Hammerstein became his surrogate father. Um, And through there, he mentored him, gave him the ins and outs of how to write for a musical, because that's really all Sondheim wanted to do. Uh, He wrote, Sondheim wrote quite a few shows. After he wrote Merrily We Roll Along, he almost quit, because it didn't have a very good run. Even though it's lived on to be an amazing production now. The- right, but even even subsequent productions of Merrily, the Broadway revival, I mean the off-Broadway revival, other subsequent productions, they never quite do, they're always kind of limited run, or mm-hmm. they, you know, there's the City Center production in the 2000s as well. Um, there's, they always are a little bit short-lived. They never quite get to the success of his other shows, which I find interesting. For sure. One of my favorite things that I found out about him. So he started his career writing lyrics for shows as opposed to writing, because he really wanted to write music and lyrics, but he only got his first couple gigs doing lyrics. So he did West Side Story, as we all know, and he got hired to do music and lyrics for Gypsy, mm-hmm. but Ethel Merman was like, yes, this is a great I, story. I don't want somebody who doesn't really, who's brand new, is fresh and isn't like an accomplished music writer to be writing for my voice. So he can, so they went with, they went with Julie Stein instead. Yeah. Well, and he ended up just doing the lyrics. Still great lyrics. And some of it's funny how some of that music is still regarded as something that he contributed. I mean, he wrote the lyrics, so that's half of the battle, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's funny how you think of, I do think of Julie Stein when I listen to that music, but it's, funny that that all of like I think of that musical as being because Bernstein is such a similar force to Sondheim I think when you listen to West Side Story you sometimes forget that he wrote the lyrics for that but when you listen to Gypsy it's very much to me in my head like a Sondheim a collaboration you know what I mean I feel like Together Wherever We Go is like always performed at like Sondheim reviews and stuff and then um what else was I gonna say oh his inspirations because I'm a lover of Classical music, he was very much inspired by Romantic era composers Hmm. uh, Which I feel like you can hear Because his music is not I want to say Sondheim's music is not easy Oh, definitely it's not Who are some some Romantic era composers? Because I don't really know what that means Ravel, Stravinsky Brahms Oh, okay, okay, okay That makes a lot of sense And then my favorite thing about Sondheim So I spent some time this week uh, listening to all of his Tony Award speeches. They're very brief because Sondheim is super humble. Mm. And 
every single time he gets an award, he starts by saying, we need to take a moment to thank the music director because without him, the show wouldn't happen and the orchestrator. Every single award, that's how he starts. And it was usually, the music director was usually Harold Hastings and the orchestrator was usually Jonathan Tunick. And he would say, hey, if I'm back next year, I would really like for this to be an award for the Tonys. Can they please incorporate a music director and an orchestrator? He's like, they wouldn't be able to do this. Interesting. I've never listened to any of his, I've never listened to any of his speeches. That's interesting. They're so short. The first year he won, he got his award. He's like, it's nice to have one of these. And because they did um, lyrics and music differently. Do they still do that? Or is it just all music now? Is that one Tony Award? It's best score. Best score. So that's not what it was like when he won his first award. Um, it was really it was best music and best lyric. Best lyrics. Interesting. Yeah. So I that did was, not know that. Yeah. So by the time by the time Into the Woods came around by the eighties, it was definitely best score altogether. Yeah. So he won those two awards, and he so he thanked for his first award. I was like, it's nice to have one of these. And then immediately after, he won another award, and all he said was. It's uh, it's even better to have two. And then he goes off stage. <laughs> oh, I love him. I love him so much. I'll talk a little bit more about him later when we talk about the show, because I found out some really interesting things that he wrote into the score on purpose. Um, interesting. And like the themes within the music. So I'm really excited to get into That's that. That's great. I think the parent sect, the parent, like learning about his family life is really interesting. Because if you think about the way across the board that he writes parents, oh, like yeah. Frank and Beth in Merrily We Roll Along, all of the parent theme, the, the family themes that we get in Into the Woods, uh, the witch and Rapunzel, you know, having that very strained relationship for obvious mm-hmm. reasons, the baker and his children, the baker and his father, who he never, you know what I mean? He never knows. Um, so I think it's really interesting to learn that about, it's almost, it's got some like Tennessee Williams vibes, you know what I mean? Of like yeah. all of the, the things that he put in. Um, something we forgot to mention that I think is important to address is that Amanda actually has a degree in music from our college and I have a degree in theater. So we're both kind of approaching these shows. I mean, I've done my fair share of music and she's done her fair share of theater, but we both have, um, you know, we're bringing something a little different to the table from each end. So I love hearing all of the kind of more technical music notes that you have. Yeah. And I think it'll, I think it'll be really nice to, to get that aspect. We were in high school together and like, I've been learning from Sam since I was, especially since I was, stop, (laughs) since I was 14 years old, like we'll talk about this, but I remember when we did Little Shop and you did, we were doing Skid Row and you just added so many artistic elements into it that like made me grow so much as an actor. And so I feel like I'm still learning from you. Oh my God. Yeah. We'll talk about that in our little shop episode. We'll see. Coming at you soon. <laughs> um, great. Great. I love that. Um, so we're specifically talking here mostly about the original 1987 Broadway production. We'll get into a little bit kind of subsequent productions and other adaptations. Um, but the show opened on Broadway. I'm sorry, it debuted in San Diego. It, they had a tryout at the Old Globe in 1986. And then by that next November, they were opening on Broadway. Um, I feel like it's a good time to open for your Tony season to get kind of the fall advantage. You're so right. I feel like the disadvantage, I feel like the disadvantage you have is that you have a long time. Like the, the adjudicators kind of come see you early on, everybody in the committee. 
comes to see you early on and then they might have a chance to kind of forget about you as they see shows in the spring. But I feel like there's a lot of good things that happen in kind of the late fall, right around, like right before Christmas. It's also a good time, I think, monetarily to open. I would assume, obviously I'm not a producer, but I feel like if your show is opening sometime around Christmas time, shows are going to sell out and a family that's coming to New York to see a show for Christmas is going to be like, crap, what do we go see? Like, you know what I mean? Let's just pick something. And if, you know, even if this wasn't their first choice, I don't know. Well, but I feel like at this point, it was right after Sunday in the Park with George. So they definitely, the, this this creative team was definitely a strong team. Um, while you're talking about it, let me throw in there about the original creative team. Oh, sure. It was, yeah, it was directed by James Lapine because that's mostly what he does. And music staging was by Fave Lubavitch. Settings by Tony Strages. Lighting by Richard Nelson, costumes by Anne Wood Ward, and makeup by Jeff Rom. So, thank you for that breakdown. Yeah, I don't really know anything about them, but <laughs> let me tell you, I love the show. Um, so, so this show opens on November fifth, uh, nineteen eighty-seven. That subsequent Tony season, uh, Phantom of the Opera was also in the running. Did you know that that they opened in the same season? Sure did. Big year. Yeah. Um, so. Into the Woods, it was a big, it was a great year. Into the, you have Patti Lapone's revival of Anything Goes too. Um, it was a, it was a good, a good year on Broadway, I think. Um, so Into the Woods gets ten nominations. Of that, it only wins three, but that's not something I really think to shy at. Um, I want to get into this. So Into the Woods wins Best Book and Best Score, but does not win Best Musical. Best Musical goes to Phantom of the Opera. Wrong decision. Let me tell you. And what's <laughs> we all know we all know your feelings on Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I guess I guess not everybody does, but uh, if all, if all goes as planned, you'll find out Amanda's feelings about the Phantom of the Opera very soon. Um, but what's funny and that, what I really think is interesting is that there are actually a fair amount of musicals that win Best Book and Best Score, and you would think in your head, oh, then that musical must be winning Best Musical. But there are actually several in the history of the Tony Awards that win best book and best musical and that or that win best book and best score rather and then best musical goes to another production really i did not know that so you have parade versus fossey parade wins best score best book and fossey snags best musical i won't read all of these but i'll read some of the more prominent ones yeah uh the drowsy chaperone versus jersey boys in 2005 drowsy wins best book best uh score but Jersey Boys wins Best Musical. You're in Town versus uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie. Ragtime versus The Lion King. Falsettos, another James Lapine show, versus Crazy for You. Um, yeah, so there are several shows in the history of the Tony Awards and American Musical Theater that win these two huge awards for the actual text and score of the show, but then don't get the full package of winning Best Musical as well. I think it's, it's wild. I feel like it's almost the American theater wings, like, all right, we'll make it a tie. You know what I mean? Because like, if one show is going to, I mean, ultimately they do decide because one show gets to put best musical out on their marquee and one show doesn't, you know what I mean? So like one show is going to get that added to those added ticket sales and one show's not. Um, and as you can see, it's my opinion, at least that the more commercial shows are the ones that are going to win best musical because they're going to survive. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like for me, a show like Jersey boys and a show like drowsy, no, no offense to Jersey boys, but I would rather go see the drowsy chaperone, but which one ran for longer, you know, which, which out ran of longer Phantom and into the yeah, woods, exactly. <laughs> out of Phantom and into the woods. Look at what's still running on Broadway. Um, 
So yeah, it runs for uh, about two, a little, a little under two years. The show opened on November fifth and closed on, uh, or November fifth, eighty seven, closed on September third, eighty nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ran for just over about seven hundred and fifty performances. Um, in those Tonys, I forgot to mention as well, Joanna Gleason wins her Tony Award for Best Performance by a Leading Actor. Um, leading Actress, rather. Uh, she was up against Judy Kuhn for Chess, when she did Chess, and Patti LuPone. And she beat both of them out. Get it! I know, I know. She really, and we'll talk about this later, but she really delivers, like, an absolute knockout performance. Obviously, oh, we only sure. really see her in, like, you know, YouTube videos or watching the filmed uh, stage production, but you can just tell she's such an actor's actor, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. Fun little fact about casting of this show. Uh, you know, Jeff, we were just talking about Jeff Blumenkrantz the other night. Yeah. Did you know that he was a replacement for Jack towards the end of the run? No. Yeah, yeah. He has a he has a great Broadway career, um, aside from being like a beautiful composer. But he uh yeah, he replaced he was a Jack replacement later on in the run. And uh Marin Maisie actually was the late Marin Maisie was a uh uh Rapunzel replacement. Also, I was doing I know that Sam loves the revival of Intimate Oh, can it? But I was <laughs> I was doing, I was looking into the cast from the revival of Into the Woods. Yeah. And the guy who played Jack is the kid from, did you ever watch Gilmore Girls? No, I didn't. He plays this, he plays this like nerdy guy Brad who comes back every couple of seasons and is just really awkward and it just made me laugh. It just made me giggle and I'm pretty sure he said Was that, that before or after? Was I think it was after, because I'm pretty sure he designed Jack's character around his Gilmore Girls character a little bit, but I thought that was... That's funny. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that. That's That that production has a really stellar cast. Yeah, for sure. Um, Chris Sieber, Vanessa Williams, uh, uh, Laura Benanti. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's under my... I kind of took some notes on some notable productions. Have you ever seen promo footage from the original London production? No. It's very strange. It's got a very weird concept. There's like a black and white and red thing. They're all kind of checkered. It must have something to do with like old London fairy tale lore or something because it's all kind of, I mean, the show is kind of dark. Not as dark as I think some people make it out to be, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's just got a very weird concept. There's some promo footage on YouTube if anyone's listening along and they care to look it up. I think if you just go search London production into the woods it'll come up but it's a very weird so this is what i love about this show is you can conceptualize it any way you want so james lapine i was watching an interview with him Mm. and he was talking about his the first stage read they ever did all they had was the cast wore baseball hats with their character name on the front of the hat and they had a central piano bench and Mm. that was all of the different things that come into play. Like, that was Cinderella's carriage. That was Milky White. That was a horse. That's all they used. And that was their first stage read. Because James Lapine is like, you can do the show on no budget. It's all about the story. Please don't overdo it. And that's also any, in my opinion, that's any good musical. You should be able to do in, like, in like in like stage blacks with, you know what I mean? Like, and the story should be able to tell itself. But I think it's interesting when you look at, like, the original production from the 80s versus the revival in 2002, they went in completely different directions. I think that the 2002 production is almost more disney in a way. It's obviously not, like, officially branded Disney, but yes. it's just so much more colorful and so much more visually stimulating. And this original production was... Dark. I mean, features, like, personified, you know, wolf genitalia, um, 
<laughs> some like very serious death scenes. Um, and it's not to say that there was not as much acting going on in the 2002 production. It's still just as captivating, but they really do push. I think the 2002 is almost leaning more towards a commercially successful production of Into the Woods and um, and this other and this yeah. this more kind of darker universe. Um, have you ever seen any footage from the, the either of the open air productions, the London production or the the Delacorte production? No. So Regent's Should Park is Should I even be in... here? Should I go? <laughs> no, you're great. Stick, stick around. I'll tell you all about it. Um, oh, Jesus. So Regent's Park is an outdoor theater in London, and they did the show in the woods. Um, oh, love that. In this outdoor theater that's built into the woods. And then there's the Delacorte Theater in uh, Central Park in Manhattan, and they kind of transferred. They, they didn't exactly transferred the production over to the u.s but they had a very similar production that happened um in 2012 at the delacorte donna murphy played the witch oh um, i did know this amy adams is the baker's wife it was kind of a stacked jesse mueller delivering a fantastic performance of cinderella um yeah and chip zian came back to play or zion rather chip zian came back to play um the mysterious man um when you were when you were going back through when we decided this was going to be our first episode how did you jump back in were you listening to the cast recording did you watch the pro shot from the 80s what did you do yeah i watched the original cast and i went through and watched that whole because that 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 video has been available for a long time so i think i first watched it when i was like in eighth grade i think you're right we Um, watched it as kids yeah this may have been the first time i've seen it in probably 10 years it's been a long time but I think it still holds it was, up incredibly well. Oh my god, it was so good. It's fantastic. It so good. What were some of your big takeaways? Like what were your, what were the highlights for you? Okay, so right off the bat, Kim Crosby's voice Oh, unreal. is butter. It is butter. just the most stunning thing I've <laughs> ever heard. And I totally forgot she just it, it was just so stunning. So that was like the first thing that caught my I mean, she sings the first line. Yeah. So that'll do it. This was one of her first big credits, though. She um, did a show called Jerry's Girls in 85, and then she went right on to do this. So she was pretty young. I think she was... 27 or 28? She was young. She's from uh, Missouri, it looks like. I'm looking up on my half-assed internet research. I love it. Um, You know who she's married to? uh, Yeah, our good, good old friend Bob Westenberg. Oh, I didn't realize. So she's had a pretty good career. I'm looking at it now. Has she? Um, yeah, I, I mean, like... she was. She played Sarah. She was a replacement for Sarah in the '92 Guys and Dolls with Nathan Lane and and um, Faith Prince. So that's pretty good. She did. Um, what else did she do? My Fair oh, Lady. That is opposite. bizarre. Did you know there was a musical called Six Wives that's based on the Six Wives, like the musical Six that's open now. Oh. Have you heard about Six? Is at this all? Six Wives and Six Husbands? What's that show called? Seven Brides. No, that's Seven that's, Brides for yep, Seven Brothers. Yep, that's different. <laughs> Welcome to Buzz Broadway, where Sam teaches me everything about musical theater. <laughs> she's had it, so she's had a decent career, but yeah, um, yeah, married to uh, Robert Westenberg, who is our the uncle of one of our, our campers from a summer camp we used to work at. But more importantly, played the wolf. With a giant penis. <laughs> because this is what we need to talk about. I don't know. Yeah. What is the, what is the like lore behind the penis? Do we have any information on the wolf I genitalia? I can't say I looked it up. It's a sketchy song. <laughs> Hello, little girl is definitely, 
So this is really what I want to talk about. How do we feel that Hello Little Girl and the Wolf's character holds up in modern day? Because this was written in the 80s. <laughs> but also in the 80s, was pedophilia allowed or accepted? Definitely not. No. No. But, like, it's creepy. So I was talking to a friend of ours earlier who was saying that some people who do this production just gloss over the creepiness of it. They just play it so much like, oh, hello, little girl. I'm going to eat you later. And just totally skip the gross part of that concept. But anyways, when I was re-watching this, his penis is so out there. Distracting. It's distracting. It's extremely distracting. <laughs> I think also, too, I guess I thought that Danielle Furland was much older than she was when she did this show. She was in high school. She was like 15, 16. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I think I thought she was older because she's, I mean, I, I don't know if this is like okay to say anymore, but like she's relatively developed physically. You did say that. So, so I guess I just thought she was older, but it's like, I mean, Robert is probably in his, what, 20s delivering, you know, mid, late 20s delivering that scene to... Yeah, maybe early 30s. He's older, maybe, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I would say, the one thing that kind of makes me turn my head a little bit when I'm watching it, is I don't know I don't know how well that, that scene holds up. I was taken aback, too. I think it's so much, it's so funny to watch something, to give yourself some space in between times that you watch certain things. Because in, like, a Me Too world, there's a lot of subject matter in this show that kind of makes you think. I think a plot line that holds up very well is... Well, well and not well at the same time is the kind of Baker, Baker's wife, uh, Prince plot line. Yeah, I agree because that will never stop happening. You, you mentioned we were talking about this the other night that like she does say no several times and he continues to pursue. But I do think that we see he definitely uses his power and his like his his status to kind of persuade her. But in my telling of the story, I mean, she she is constantly in every scene leading up to that, she is constant. She's enamored with the prince. Anytime they come face to face in the woods, she's very interested in him. She's right. confiding in Cinderella, talking about her fascination with the prince. So it doesn't ever feel like assault to me that he pursues her. I, I don't know, but that's also coming from a man's standpoint. He does push a lot to try to get her to to say yes. What do you think? I don't know. It's really hard because you could go back and forth. Like, I feel like a lot of women would watch that and be like, he just completely manipulated her. She said no three times. That should be enough for a man to back off. But we have to remember it is, number one, the 80s. Yeah. A a completely different time. And then, Yeah. yeah, and then also a fairy tale, like a story, a Broadway musical. It's just. I would agree. I don't know, it definitely caught me off guard because it's different watching it when I'm 25 as opposed to when I'm 15. Right, right, right. It is a very different story. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And when you've played the role of Kathy and company at the age of 14, I think, too, just the way that you're... <laughs> we'll talk about that in another episode, but Amanda Harrington did, in fact, play the Sondheim role of Kathy in a production of Company at the age of 14. Sondheim! Up, up against Sondheim a, up a, against a late 20s heart. Bobby. Like, he was, what, 28? I don't know. We're, we're buds now. And Amanda was, four, Amanda was 14, being like, I'm already getting married, Bobby. Listen, Kathy is my forever <laughs> role, so... <laughs> Um, um, what other parts? Yeah, so stuck out to you because I have a big one. I just forgot. I think I forgot how funny it is. Like it just like I was watching alone and laughing out loud. I think I just really forgot how many jokes are so well delivered, and and I a lot of those are coming from Bernadette. Oh yeah, she is such an un, unbelievable comedian. I also think something that I find absolutely shocking is that she never won a Tony for a Sondheim role. What? She won her Tony award for. Song and Dance, and then for um, Annie Get Your Gun. But she never won for any of her Sondheim roles, which I think is a little upsetting. Can I tell you something? Please. You've listened to Agony recently, correct? <clears throat> yes, I have. Have you listened to their releases on anything that ends with a ch? Like a ch? Sound like a ch? Like, though it's different for each. It is so accurate. They're very talented. They're very in sync. I was, that actually was one of my highlights was like, I really didn't love those songs when I was younger, but listening to them now, they're, it's a great, it's like a breath of fresh air because we don't see them for so long in the show and they keep coming back. And their diction is just so good. They're very, they're very it's strong performance. Something I loved about revisiting this was really, I, I just, I call them like the, the Sondheim songs, like the Into the Woods set. And you have, I know things now, Giants in the Sky, On the Steps of the Palace, and Moments in the Woods. And you get three of them so back to back to back in, in, in Act One. I know things now, Giants in the Sky, and On the Steps of the Palace come pretty soon after one of, like they all happen within a span of like 40 minutes. And then, you ha- and then you have to wait a long time for another song like that, and then Moments in the Woods happens. So it's, it's really funny to me that the baker's wife doesn't really figure out what she really wants until it's too late. Like in, for me, those, the, those songs in act one are all of them setting up like what they want in their life. And it either comes true and they realize they don't want it or it doesn't come true. You know what I mean? But You're the baker's so wife right. finally gets, you know, she, they establish that kind of motif of like, I'm, I'm one of the characters in this show and I'm going to sit down and tell you what I want. And this like very life changing experience that I've just had, I was followed by a wolf and I had to get out or I was, I, I went to the, a kingdom up in the sky, or I went to a ball and met who I think might be the love of my life. And they established that kind of motif. And then the baker's wife finally does something so selfish, so for herself, and she realizes that that's yes. not what she wanted. Okay, so, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about motifs now. <laughs> Are you ready for me to hit you with a, with, with yes. a musical knowledge? I'm so, ready, I'm ready. You know the five notes that represent the bean. Bum, 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 bum. Right? Yes. It's also the, the clock's chiming. Okay, right. It's everything. The inversion of those five notes 
which is the opposite, is people make mistakes and no one is alone because that song is the resolution of the show. Ooh. Very good. Very good. Did you know, here's another piece of lyric trivia. Hit me, honey. So it, when you read the, the text for um, Moments in the Woods, Sondheim yeah. wrote, is it always or is it never and? That's what woods are for, for those moments in the woods. But he wrote, that's what woods, W-O-U-L-D-S, are for. Are you kidding me? For those moments in the woods. So when you're just sitting there listening to the song, it sounds like she's saying that's what woods, forests, are for, for those moments in the woods. But she's actually saying that's what woods, that's what things that I would do are for, for moments in the woods. Oh, he is so good he's pretty he's pretty nuts wow that that little piece of trivia was discovered by rob mcclure not discovered but um he brought it to like fame and notoriety in an interview that he did with seth rudetsky rob mcclure is uh, the original chaplain in um chaplain the musical for those of you who don't know and um he was slated to play mrs doubtfire in the mrs doubtfire musical whenever that comes back to broadway yeah, that's one of my favorite like little lyric pieces. The other thing, too, is that all of the kind of rhythmics, uh, all of the really fast rhythms in all of those songs, I won't sing them, obviously, but if you think about Giants in the Sky, I can rhythm- rhythmically talk it, or uh, Moments in the Woods, those are all 8th, 16th notes, kind of faster-paced notes, because Sondheim wanted to mimic the sound of talking to yourself. When you're walking around pacing, thinking thinking things to yourself, he wanted to mimic that sound, and that's what those characters are doing in those songs, is thinking, processing, thinking through these th- like huge moments that they've just had in their life and really trying to process them. So he wrote them rhythmically um, to echo that. That's what he did with Little Red's theme in the prologue as well, the blump, 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 blump. Like, because mm-hmm. that whole song is quarter notes. And so mm-hmm. he, but he specifically made Little Red's to sound like a walking song. Yeah. God, I just... He's, he's unreal. And then the only really other thing I had to say that I had a true discovery about was, and this is a direct quote from Amanda's notes, why am I sexually attracted to this <laughs> Can you please... He's very endearing. He's he's very, I think, caring. Um, why are you sexually attracted to the baker? Um, I... Do you want to know why? I, I know he, why. He, why? Why is it? He loves his wife so much. He really does. And he will do just about anything. And then in his eyes, I, I guess I it really takes like a, a really strong portrayal. But at the end, I feel like he has some sort of intuition. And I think that that's part of why the, the ghost of the baker's wife revisits him. I don't think that he thinks that she did anything wrong. Because does he does he get information? The birds come down and tell Cinderella what happened that the that the baker's wife and the prince were together, and you have that. That's always a fun delivery. If you ever see the show, a, a really really good Cinderella can get the audience to laugh at that line because they you only hear the birds tweeting, so you don't really you don't ever you don't ever hear the bird. The birds are never saying Cinderella, uh, your prince and the baker's wife. You know made love in the forest. They never say that. But if you're a really, if you're an actor who has really strong into like in, intuition and nuance, you can get the audience to understand that that's what they're saying. I think the only way you can do it is through the delivery of the line, but what of the prince? 
Because she says, what of the prince? And then she says, oh, I don't care. That and you can talk to birds. <laughs> One of your best delivered lines in your, all of your career, I do have to say. Absolutely. Daniel Ferland also, Daniel Ferland also was. She did uh, it the best. I tried so hard. <laughs> She's so dry for being so young, which I think is a, a huge uh, uh, asset to her performance. Um but I think why is because he really does just love her so much. He, he protects her for all of Act One, and then you see, it's like a it's a a man not succumbing to his wife, not surrendering to her, but saying we are a team, we are in this together. He starts the show being I am the man, I am the breadwinner. <laughs> no pun intended. He's a baker, <laughs> breadwinner. Oh my god. Um, but I am the man. You know, they run from from the staging of the original production. They run their business together. They're both baking. They're both selling things. Like they both, I think, share the weight in the business. But I think in terms of the relationship, he always wants to feel like he is the one that is supporting it. When in reality, it's really her that kind of calls the shots. And you see that come back and forth throughout the show. But in a song like It Takes Two, they really have this moment where they get to say, we are partners. Like we, there is no greater, you're not greater than me. I'm not greater than you. We are a team. And I think that that's why is that you don't always see the, that kind of very strong mutual bond in a, in a stage relationship. Honorable mentions for me, Danielle Ferland. I think she steals, I think she almost steals the show. She's not quite there, but she absolutely, I think, just is constantly pulling the rug out from people. Can I just be honest? Yeah. She did not impress me as much as she did when I was younger watching her. Interesting. That's okay. That's allowed. But that might be because I have such a strong connection to Little Red Riding Hood. (laughs) The other, the other huge, um, I guess it's not, it's not a standout for me because I know who my standout is, but the, the giant scene in act two, for me, it is one of the best book scenes in all of musical theater, starting from after that little, it's after agony two. It's after the agony reprise, I think the baker's wife and the baker and little red come into the scene and then the Royal family comes in and you get that first giant scene where it's like an ensemble of people. It's when they throw the narrator to the giant. It is just a, for me, one of the most quintessential, it's one of the most quintessential parts of the show for me. It is, it's a huge symbol of the show for me is that scene, reducing it down to that one scene. The the text is great. It, it hits all the right beats. You have the witch constantly trying to get the giant to trying to appease the giant by offering her different things. Um, you have the royal family being neurotic and ridiculous. You have the people who are trying to make sense of the situation, the baker and the baker's wife, and, and Little Red in a way, too. Um, and then just the theme with the narrator. So I would say from from the three of them coming onto the stage all the way through when Witch's Lament starts, um, that whole book scene for me just absolutely sends me every time I watch it. It is so well written, so well performed. And I find myself laughing and feeling so distraught at the same time. Mm-hmm. It literally goes from this like high comedy scene to Jack's mother getting killed, Rapunzel getting killed, the narrator getting killed. And it, it shifts so, it's so fast. It goes so fast from being so funny and so campy and so silly to being so serious in like at the drop of a hat, at the drop of a hat. You can see all the wheels turning in their head during that. Scene. Oh, it's incredible. Because it goes from zero to 60 in no time. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Honorable mentions for, me, for you. My, yeah, Kim Crosby. Mm. I was just James Lapine was saying that he believes that Cinderella is the most difficult role to play because she goes from child to woman in the span of an hour. So the she and Cinderella not only character wise is difficult to play, like vocally wise. It's a legit role. Correct. 
but it also it just needs something to it. Yeah, so the, it, it's just difficult all around. And I thought Kim Crosby nailed it. Right. Well, you have to land jokes. You have, and you're the ingenue of the story. I wouldn't really consider the baker's wife to be the ingenue. Like you are the, even though she's like kind of the supporting. You know, you have the witch who's kind of the older role. You have the mother role who's the baker's wife, and you really are the ingenue in the story. And you have to play so many. It's not just playing Cinderella. You know what I mean? It's such a different take on that character. She's she really does become a fully realized woman by the end of the show, deciding to yes. let go of the, her life at the you know the palace and move in with a baker that she just met. Like you know, that's a great standout. That's a great honorable mention. I mean, is Kim Crosby? What is the who wins the show for you? Who is like the champion of this production? Is it Sondheim? Who is it? You know, it's not Sondheim. It's Chip Bay the Baker. Chip Zion, really? I loved Wins him. the show for you? I loved him so much. Do you see the expression in his eyes in every scene? I did. It is beautiful. His eyes are wide. He just like emotes everything through his facial expressions. And he is such a shrimpy, cute little man. <laughs> and I love that so much that he is... I love that he's not as tall as Joanna Gleason. I just think... His height and everything he does personifies that character so well. But also, I never liked the song No More. I just always skipped it when I was listening to it growing up. And when I was watching it this time around, I really listened to it. And it is so beautiful and has so much depth to it that I've never really... No, I agree. I think No More, as you get older, it really hits home more and more. I agree with you that I got very emotional when I was listening to it. It's funny that that you said Chip... Z- uh, Zion because I think it's Joanna Gleason. I think their their mutual performance they they succeed so well in the show playing off of each other. I think they were incredibly well cast as partners. You have her being a little taller, him being a little shorter, and they really just have this mutual understanding. Because for me, they are the central characters of the story. You know what I mean? Everything comes back to them. Everyone is somehow connected to them. They're the protagonists, and everybody else is kind of along for their journey. And I think the reason that you're able to justify that is by the scene at the very end where he does the, um, where he's, you know, telling the baby the story when you have that kind of resolution with him and the ghost of the baker's wife. Not to mention they're the only two characters who are not based on another story. They're the only two originals. And for me too, I think rewatching just the script and score, like that, that is the other winner for me. It's just, it, the, the script, the book stands up so well, the music stands out. It's just, it's an absolutely quintessential piece of American musical theater. So now we get to be a little selfish, I think, and talk a little bit about when we did the show. I think this will give everyone a little giggle, but um, it's mostly for our own selfish uh, desires to relive this experience. Would you relive this? Would you relive doing the show in high school at the age you were when we did it? Would you relive it again if you could go back? Yes. And here's the reason. Here's the reason. So... Would I go back? I don't... I'm going to interrupt this moment to share a video that I found on YouTube. No. It is a video of Sam and I introducing ourselves before we give a performance of the prologue into the woods. I know this video. Okay, well, we're going to listen to it. I am 16 years old. You sure are, because I'm I'm 15. I think I was about to be 16, and you were about to be 15. And I'm Sam. I play Jack. I go into the woods to sell my cow. I need it. <laughs> I come from Jack and the Beanstalk Jack. So, if you've heard of it, kind of a big deal. 
The diction, the pinginess, you were delivering. I was also like, Amanda and I like to joke that I was the Rachel Berry of our high school and she was the Kurt Hummel. <laughs> I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty correct. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I've been watching a lot of Shit's Creek, so I very much like the better idea of me being David and you being Alexis. Of uh, you being the man and me being the woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, oh, that's, I think that's, that's correct. Oh, that's the theme? Yeah, right? You being the man and me being the woman? Usually, I did not right? realize that was what we were going for, but apparently. <laughs> so we did this show in 2010. It was uh, our, our high school did shows in the winter and in the summer. This was one of the summer musicals. Um, the winter musicals always got a little bit more budget. The summer musicals always had to run a little bit more on fumes. But yeah, I thought overall it was a pretty like thinking back on it. I thought it was a pretty good show. I remember the performances being pretty good. Um we we got a little bit more like artistic license over the summer like our teachers who were coming in to do shows with us over the summer would kind of give us more projects to work on like we might choreograph a so- one of the songs in the show or we might help a little bit more with scenery or props and then in the winter time it would be a little bit more delegated as to who was doing what so sam did you did you do anything for the show <laughs> how dare you yes i definitely did I helped harvest some trees, which made their way onto the set and also onto (laughs) one of our teachers in high school had just a very clear vision of what she wanted our arts program to be. And she gave me the task of decorating our lobby thematically for the show. Was it a good decision on her part? The jury's still out (laughs) to get to, to grant me with this task. Did I think it was a great theatrical production that happened in the lobby for 20 minutes before the show started? Absolutely. It sure was. (laughs) It was incredible. So I myself, imagine like 16-year-old gay me in the middle of New Hampshire with like a hacksaw, chopping down birch trees in the middle of the woods, loading them into some girl's truck and driving them to the high school. I like zip-tied them to like banisters in our arts lobby I made like little tables that had because we had the concessions like every high school theater program does. And I put like little trees and garlands and there were Christmas lights hanging. And I made this big banner that said Mm. once upon a time. And then at about 20 to show to, to places, about seven or eight actors from the show went out and did a complete pre show performance. You had the steward looking for the princes. You had, I made the girls who played Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. I made them lay on tables for 20 minutes, completely asleep before the show. I was like, don't move. Don't do anything. <laughs> While they were in high school and their poor friends came to visit them and could just poke them yeah, there before were no, like, the show. We didn't really have the budget for like plexiglass cases or anything. So no, we did not. They just had to throw them on some tables, just uncovered. Do you have any more? I have one story, but I think I'd like for it to be kind of the last little bit of our personal connection. Do you have any more stories from our high school production? Well, I also wanted to mention this is the first time. I don't know if anybody out there has ever gotten food at Panera at the very end of the day when they give everything away. So I would called earlier and been like, hey, I need to collect baked goods or whatever for a show. And they're like, sure, just come at the end of the day. We'll give you what we have left. They gave me three giant trash bags of bread and a 
full boxes. I do remember eating a lot of bread backstage because there was just so much stuff left over. Yeah, so my mom and I, God bless her soul, baked this bread until it got hard and shellacked it. And it was all over (laughs) my house so that we could have real looking bread on stage, a.k.a. actual (laughs) loaves of bread. And my house... Actual loaves of shellac My house smelled terrible. Well, yeah, shellac is just like chemicals, right? Basically. Basically. And then (laughs) I also really just wanted to say that Sam has failed to mention that this is my second time in this production. Uh, The first time... Ah, you're correct. The first time I was in this production, I played the starring role of Milky White. (laughs) Why don't you tell our friends about your little added line that you got in that production? First of all, I had seven lines. Second of all, <laughs> six of the lines were moo. And then And what was the seventh? The seventh line was moojik. Because Jack in the first act asks about the magic beans and he goes, Magic? And I went, Moojik? I'm gonna call MTI and report you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> MTI representatives, if you're listening in on our podcast, please do not penalize uh, the Acting Loft and Central High School's joint production of <laughs> Into the Woods from 2000. I hate you so much. 2008. You got all of that information correct. I did. You're you're absolutely yeah. I know my I know my details. I know my facts. All right. So what do you got? So I have one last I have one last story about when we did this production. So I was a loud mouth in high school. I couldn't shut up about anything. And I had a lot of ideas. I wanted to be the director. I didn't know that I wanted to be the director, but I wanted to be the director. So I had an obsession with this show when we did it. And I had a specific obsession with the 2002 revival. And something I loved was all the times in the show where they like shook the trees or like dropped leaves from the sky. So I was like, oh, in the famous giant scene, when the giant's yelling at them, I'm going to go up to the little like loft in our theater and I'm going to drop leaves onto the stage so it looks like the giant is so loud that leaves are dropping onto the stage so I go up there with a trash bag full of real leaves mind you there were like had to have been like bugs I think we had like did we have like mulch I don't know where you got the leaves from I, I don't like know there where like, it came from no but I feel like there might have been like I feel like there might have been like a little bit of mulch on stage not a ton I truly don't remember there were the big chicken wire the big chicken wire trees that were downstage right and downstage left wow I literally don't remember but that's all I really remember anyway so it was like one of the five shows that we did or like three performances of Into the Woods that we did that summer and I was up in the loft shaking leaves and I got to the bottom of the bag and I'm just shaking the bag trying to get all the leaves out and in the middle of the scene all the actors on stage Amanda you were on stage you saw that happen a black trash bag just floats from the flies down onto the stage like a like a like Clara's hat in in Light in the Piazza. It just floats down from the skies and cascades down onto the stage and lands like a little a little right of center. And I'm pretty sure it was like a Shaw's bag. No, no, it was like a trash bag. It wasn't like a it wasn't a um it wasn't oh. a grocery bag. It was like a it was like a black trash bag. Beautiful. With like the red ties. I'm sure our audience loved that. <laughs> Several actors on the stage tried to kick it off, and none were successful. My bad. So that is uh, that is how much I cared about high school theater. I helped with props a little bit. You helped with props a lot. Did I? I think you're just that, saying for that for that specific show. Sure? Oh, well, besides the bread, you did the you did, I the, bread. did the bread. That was a big undertaking. There were a lot of there's a lot of pro- it's a prop heavy show. Yeah. I mean, there's a song where they sing about props, capes, and hair, and cows. 
Lots of things. I so yeah. I also have to say a little more on the sentimental side. Sure. The show has a really special meaning to me because the song No One Is Alone was performed by myself and the cast of a show I was in at Kathleen Arecki's funeral. Correct. Kathleen Arecki is uh, a voice teacher that we both studied under for a little bit. Yeah, and they asked me to step in as music director after she got sick. And then, so I was music directing, and then they said, hey, you know, Dr. Arecki passed away. Can you please have the cast sing No One Is Alone? Which, number one, is just a huge undertaking as... I don't think I realized that they asked you to spearhead that. Yeah, I conducted it at her funeral. I didn't realize that. I thought you just performed it. It was... Wow. It was very, very... In in front of alumni from PSU that I've heard of that are very talented. It was just on top of my emotions, you know, about Absolutely. Dr. Arecki passing away. It was just... It was a lot, but, I mean, I was grateful to be able to, I think, give that song to her in, in some way that I could contribute. Well, I think that that is, like, a testament. I think that that is a testament to what the show has to offer. The show is so rich in ability to connect. There is... Every single character in the show can connect to somebody out there. Any person could walk into Into the Woods and say, oh, I'm that person. That's yeah. me. Yeah. You know what I mean? There, and I think I think the other cool thing is that it can change throughout your life. You can go see it in your 20s. You can go see it as a kid and say, oh, I'm Jack. I'm stuck in this life and I'm wishing for something bigger for myself. Or I'm. you can go see it in your 30s and say, oh, I'm the baker. You can see it in your 50s and say, oh, I'm the mysterious man or I'm the witch. Like, you can you can see so many different versions of yourself in the show. So it really can connect to anyone, which is, I think, why people feel such a, yeah. a deep emotional connection to so much of the music and the story. That's exactly what I love about the show. That and like as a past expiring, expiring, as a past inspiring actor being, (laughs) wanting to be a different character every time I listen to it. Yeah. I'm like, today I'm feeling very Cinderella. (laughs) I do that too. When I listen to cast albums, like, oh, today I feel like singing this or today I feel like listening specifically to this line. I was going to say with that in mind, if you could be in the show right now, who would you audition for? Uh, I think I'm sort of stuck in the middle between uh, Baker and younger than the Baker. I do think you can play it that there may be like a young couple who's been trying to have a baby for a little while. I do think I read younger on stage than I actually am. Not by much. But um, I think I can play like my age or younger. I don't really think I can play older than my age right now. So yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably aim for the Baker. And I think too, with like, as my parents are getting older kind of having that lend itself. I'm nowhere near starting a family, but I think that that sort of biological clock starts to tick and you start to see babies and you you start to see other people who are married or have a, you know, a significant other. And you say, Oh, that's like something that could happen in my life very soon. Kind of at any time. That was a very real answer. Thank you. How about you? If you were to make your journey back into acting. I feel like I would make an excellent, Cinderella's mother, giant trap. <laughs> um, I hate you so much. There's another one. They play one more. <laughs> Cinderella's mother, giant. And Granny. Grandmother? Yeah. Yeah. Love oh, I would nail it. I would nail it. So good. Yeah, I definitely feel like that would be the one I yeah. get. Yeah, I love that. Great. 
Well, Into the Woods, it is, uh, it's stood the test of time. Um, it's still able to connect with people 40 years after it originally premiered on Broadway. Um, we've gotten film adaptations. We've gotten concerts. Uh, you know, we, they sang, they sang songs at Sondheim's anniversary or Sondheim's birthday concert, not his anniversary concert. Um, it really has stood the test of time. It has something to offer for everyone. Um, and it's a musical that has stayed near and dear to my heart. And I think of you often when I, when I listen to it, Amanda. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Same. Great. Do you want to, do you want to thank the people? Let's leave them with one final line. Oh gosh. I am, I am unprepared for this. That was your idea. It was my idea. You're absolutely correct. I think probably fight for their mistakes. Ooh. You know, I think that that there's, there's literally nothing else that we can do for the people we love that, that, that helps them more than fighting for the things that they did wrong or the, 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 the things that they didn't get a chance to, to see come to fruition. Not always a mistake that they made. But if there's something that they didn't get to achieve in their life, honoring that and allowing them to, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. How about you? It's been the same line. And I told you this recently. I was looking at my Twitter from the past couple of years and just seeing like what I posted on this day in years past. And I almost always have an Into the Woods quote because so many of those quotes are relevant every single day. Mm-hmm. But the one that I feel like I tweeted the most is nice, is different than good. Absolutely. It just has so much meaning to me, just personally too. Like I've known so many nice, charming people who are not good people, such as Cinderella's Prince. Sure. Like nice, charming, that's who he is. But is he an actually good person? Mm-hmm. No. That, that line just speaks true everywhere. And I think I have... I've, I've kind of surrounded myself looking at my friends in my life. This might sound like a dig to a lot of my friends, but I feel like I've met a lot of people in my life who are good, but not always nice. And I think those are the people that I wind up gravitating to because you don't get, there's, there's not a lot of places that you can get by only being nice. You have to be good and nice buys you a lot of other things as well. But you know what I'm saying? I do. And vice versa. Yeah. Absolutely. You can be nice but not good and get places in the world. I agree. AKA like I feel like the business world. Sure. I don't know why that's what comes to mind. I think I think you're right. But yes, Into the Woods stands the test of time, holds up 40 years after its original premiere. Give the cast recording a listen. 1987 production, the 2002 production. And enjoy. Enjoy your moments in the woods. Give us a listen at the Buzz Broadway podcast. We're going to have some more episodes coming at you uh, in the next few weeks. Um... Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Grab a cocktail and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Say bye, Amanda. Grab a mimosa. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Bye. Bye. If you like what you heard on today's episode, be sure to leave us a rating and review. Want to support Buzzed Broadway? Head to anchor.fm to learn more. If you need more Buzz Broadway shenanigans in your life, follow us on Instagram at at Podcast. Buzz Broadway is conceived and hosted by Amanda Harrington and Sam St. Jean, editing by Amanda Harrington, original music by Carl Pariso, with musical arrangements by Patrick Doro. As always, thank you to our sponsors, to Anchor, and to you, our listeners. See you next time. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.